The title of my sermon that I want to bring to you this morning is called, It Takes a Lot of Faith to Love. It Takes a Lot of Faith to Love. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, if you know them, look them in the eye and say, it takes a lot of faith to love you. I saw some wives prodding their husbands as they said that. <laughs> it takes a lot of faith to love. We're going to read some scriptures together, and then we're going to talk about this fact that it takes a lot of faith to love. Okay, here's some passages. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 following. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might have life through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation or sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's, ne next, we're going to turn to Genesis, Genesis chapter 5 and verse 6. Sorry, not Genesis, Galatians. I don't know where that came from. Yeah. <laughs> Way over on the other side. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. Same chapter down to Galatians 5, verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Still in Galatians 5, now verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. It takes a lot of faith to love. Galatians says that faith works through love. When we believe God and trust God and when we live our lives by faith in God, it's going to be worked through acts and words of love. In fact, faith and love should never be separated. Acts of love inspired by faith can both bring hope into hopeless situations and turn people's lives around. It takes a lot of faith to activate Christian love. That's my message to you. It's not just a question of going and 
loving people and speaking words of love and, and doing acts of love. From where do these acts of love arise in the Christian life? It takes a lot of faith to activate Christian love. Love is a conviction more than it's an emotion, and love is an action more than it is an intention. I'll say that again. Love is a conviction more than it's an emotion, and love is an action more than it is an intention. A quote from C.S. Lewis, the famous author, in his book, Mere Christianity, he says this, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets, that when you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love them. If you injure someone you dislike, then you will find yourself disliking them more. If you do him good in a turn, in turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. So C.S. Lewis says that don't try to figure out whether you feel like you love someone, uh, but act as if you did. Love is a conviction more than an emotion. I'm not saying that love doesn't involve emotion, but love is a conviction. Christian love is a conviction. What do I mean? I mean it's deeper than mere emotion. I mean, you can feel affection to someone one moment, and then the next moment you can feel annoyance with them. Feelings come and go. They are important. They're what bring color to life. But feelings come and go. But a conviction is something that's deeper. It's a deep-held conviction or a deep-held belief out of which the decisions of your life come. And so love is a conviction more than it's an emotion, and love is an action more than it's an intention. C.S. Lewis says, look, just do it. Go out and love someone even if you don't feel like it. Love is an action more than it's an intention. I thought about emailing Nike, or Nike as we call them now, asking them if they'd like to sponsor my sermon today, and I thought that they could uh, hand out T-shirts with their logo on it, just do it. I suppose crystallize my message to you when it comes to love is just do it. That there is a lot of potential love that's locked inside your heart and mind today. A lot of potential love, a lot of latent love that's time to release through words and actions. I said love is an action more than it's an intention. There's nothing wrong with intentions, but there is a saying that says the road to hell is full of good intentions. In other words, people intend to do to love one another. It was their intention to do good works. It was their intention to make a difference in somebody else's life. It was their intention to work on their marriage. It was their intention to address some issues. It was their intention, but it never became their actions. I know that you, because you're like me, are full of good intentions. One day I'll do that, one day I'll do that, say that, one day I'll become. There are intentions in your heart that are yet to be fulfilled. And many of those intentions of love, the Holy Spirit has placed in your heart. The intention to, to knock on the door of your neighbor and get to know them. The intention to reach out to the person that you work with, with acts of love and kindness. The intention is there, but love is more an action than an intention. 
But love, to be truly an act of Christian love, this has to be rooted in deep faith and trust in our Father in heaven. The passages that we read mentioned this, especially in uh, 1 John 4, 7 following, talking about the fact that God is love and that all true love comes from God. The love that we're talking about is Christian love. It's a love that is not human, but it is divine. We read in Galatians, didn't we, that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Notice it's the fruit, not the fruits. The word fruit is singular. The fruit, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to bring love. You say, well, what is love? So many people have different understandings of what love is in the world today. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then the eight other words of description are a description of what love is like. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What's love like? Love is patient. Love is joyful. Love is kind. Love is humble. Uh, love is peaceable. All these types, faithful, all these things are descriptions of what Christian love is like. If you don't know what Christian love looks like, then look at the words that describe the fruit of the Spirit, love. And love comes from God, John said. And faith, our Christian faith works. But how does it work? In Galatians, it said, faith works through love. So you believe God and it is outworked in your acts of love, your words of love, your prayers of love. Faith works through the medium of love. The whole Old Testament can be fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So these are very powerful things. But this love, it comes from God. And God shows us that love always acts. My favorite verse in the New Testament that we read in 1 John 4 verse 10, where it says, this is love. Or what? This is love, not that we loved God but that God loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, a sacrifice for our sins. You see, God's love acts. And the greatest act of love that history has ever seen was when the father sent his son and his son died on the cross for the sins of the world, for your sins and my sins. He carried on the cross now, the act of Christian love is to be a gift requiring no payment in return. Let me say that again because I want to impact. The act of Christian love is meant to be a gift that we give requiring no payment in return. Often what we find ourselves doing is loving those that love us, being kind that are kind back to us. Well, if we turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 we'll understand a little bit more about the nature of Christian love. Matthew 5, verse 43, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speaking, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that if you love with the expectation of repayment in return, then what's the difference between you and the world? And here he's saying you should love those that you can expect nothing in return. This is why he speaks about loving your enemies. And then he gives the example of our Father in heaven. Today's a beautiful day. I hope it stays like that for the rest of the day. But when God brought the sunshine this morning on London, guess what? It shined on the believer and the unbeliever, on the righteous on the un- and on the righteous. If you walk through London today, you won't find unbelievers and evil people with little clouds over their heads blocking their sun because God is angry with them because they're not giving him praise or worship or honor or faith. No, the sun is shining on the evil and the righteous at the time, the believing and the unbelieving. It's called common grace, and through this world we see that even those that blaspheme God enjoy food from his creation, enjoy their time on earth where where they live every day and every breath they take is by the, the gift of God. Now is the time for us to find God because when we die, common grace dries up. When you die, there's nothing left but the judgment if you haven't dealt with your sins by believing in Jesus who carried them. And... Jesus says, you are to be like your father. In other words, we are to imitate the love of God. Jesus is the great example of love, the father sending his son. You know, the father loves you so much, he gave his only son for you. Guess what? I have an only son. He's 19 years old. He's just back from university on Saturday. I picked him up. I've got my only son. His name is Jake. I wouldn't give him up for any of you. (laughs) No offense, I like you, and some of you, I hope I love you, but I don't love you enough to give up my son for you. You just have to sort yourself out. (laughs) He's the only one I've got. But God, he has an only begotten son, but unlike me, he loves you so much, he gave him to you as a gift. And all he's asking is that you simply accept it. And the rewards, you see... Jesus is saying is that the problem is we love those who love back. We like those who like back. We're friendly to those who are friendly back. And if we love someone and they don't love us back, we get angry and we don't want to see them anymore. And this is the principle of the world. But God is saying love people and don't expect anything back from them, but expect something back from your father. The whole of the Sermon on the Mount is encouraging people to live life and to make decisions, not in the light of those around them, but in the light of the Father that watches us. So we don't give so that everybody else can see we're giving. Wow, look at this check you just wrote for Kensington Temple. And we we get one of those big ones, you know, that they do in charities and we bring them. And everybody applauds. Well, God says you've had your reward from those around you. And when we pray, we don't make a big spectacle about it. And someone comes up and says, oh, you're so on fire. That was a great prayer. No, we go. We shut the door. We pray. Nobody knows that we're praying. Nobody knows our intercession. But the Father who sees, the Father who sees when we give, and we don't let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. You see, we're to act not for what we get from other people, but from what we get from our Father. Jesus says, if you give a glass of water to somebody who comes in my name, you'll get a reward. 
If you visit a prisoner, and even if the prisoner doesn't want to see you, you'll get a reward from heaven. This is why love comes from faith. It takes a lot of love. Sorry, it takes a lot of faith to love. Our acts of love come because of the Father's love for us. He will reward us. We will become like him. What reward is there for us when we love those that love us back? I'm saying this because I believe that there's people that are in your circumstances and in your relational frameworks of neighborhood, uh, workplace, study place, educational place, that God has put there intentionally for you to reach out in words of love and acts of love, small things and, and big things. You know, it took a lot of faith for Christ to love us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame. You know, Jesus was in heaven. There was no sin in heaven. He'd been there with the Father eternally. But he stepped down into this broken, fallen world to teach us a better way and to ultimately die on the cross for our sins. If he didn't die on the cross for our sins, then when we died in our sins, we would have to pay the righteous punishment for our sins, which would be an eternal punishment. So he came down. But all his life, he lived trusting his father. He never said anything unless he heard his father say it to him first. He never did anything unless he first saw his father doing it in heaven. He could have said what he liked. He could have done what he liked. He's God, fully man, uh, fully God. But he lived in the light of his father, believing that if he trusted his father, then his words of love and his actions of love would eventually be rewarded. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross and the shame. Why? Because he understood that if he died on the cross and trusted his father, he would be raised to life on the third day, and then a great harvest of salvation would take place. You and I that believe that he died and rose again would be swept into the kingdom of his father. But it was difficult for him to do that. And one of the greatest pictures where Jesus humanly was struggling with trusting God and stepping out in love is, of course, the Garden of Gethsemane. See him there on his knees, intensely praying to the Father about an act of love that was about to be done. In the next few hours, he was going to be whipped and crucified on a cross for the sins of the world. And he was feeling this was coming close and the final decision needed to be taken. And so Jesus is like, Father, is there any other way, any other path that I can take in order to fulfill your will? Blood sweating out of his skin Vessels being, such was the intensity of the decision being made. But then he said those words, those words of great faith and great trust in his father. Not my will, but yours be done. And that great conviction, he didn't feel good at the time. It was a conviction more than an emotion in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was an intention, but it didn't stay there latent as an intent. But he said, your will be done, not mine. And then he got up and he began. The decision was made. 
and the action of Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of the world took place. You know, Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote that famous song, Love, love changes everything, how you live and how you die. You know that song? Of course you do, I just sung it in such a wonderful way. <laughs> love, love changes everything, how you live and how you die. I might come back to this, but let me tell you something. You're looking for change in your life. You're looking to take your next steps with the Lord. You've got issues of the heart that you want to deal with. While you're looking internally, God is pointing you out externally and say, do an act of love, speak an act of love, because the act of love changes you as you do it. Loving the unlovable, it takes a lot of faith to love. It takes no faith to love those that love you, but it takes a lot of faith to love your husband when uh, he shut himself away from you. It takes a lot of love to love those that won't love you back. To give love as a gift requiring no payment in return. That's the definition of Christian love, but knowing that your father will reward you. That's great faith to, to be able to act in love like that. Loving the unlovable, it takes a lot of faith to love. It makes me think of the lepers of the New Testament and Jesus' ministry to the lepers. I think of uh, Luke chapter 5, and that's where we'll go. And in Luke 5, you have Jesus calling Peter, the fisherman, who's labored all night, caught nothing. Then Jesus calls him, and they have so many fish, the boats are sinking. And then it says that they left their nets, they left their boats, they left everything, in verse 11 of Luke 5, and they followed him. You then get three ministries of Jesus straight after that, one after the other. The first one is Jesus ministering to a leper who comes to him full of leprosy, the New King James Version says, and asks, are you willing to heal? And Jesus reaches out and touches him. The next is a man that is brought through the roof, the paralytic, who can't move, obviously he's paralytic, and his friends bring him through the roof, and people think a great miracle is going to take place, that he's going to be healed, and he is eventually, but before that, Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven you. He saw that there was a deeper healing even than of the body that needed to take place, the healing of a leprous heart. I'll come back to that in a moment. And then the next thing that Jesus does is he goes, goes and calls Levi, the tax gatherer, or Matthew, to follow him. Levi follows him, and then Jesus goes to a party, a dinner party, full of uh, tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, who only loved those that loved them back and were the main uh, attention of Jesus' anger in the Sermon on the Mount, they were criticizing him. Why are you going with these sinners? Why are you dealing with these evil men? And Jesus says it's, though, it's, it's not those who are well who need a physician or a doctor, but those who are sick. I've, come to call, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I believe there's a picture of, of leprosy here. There was the physical leprosy of the leper. Then there was the leprosy of the heart, of the paralytic, that was more important to be dealt with than even his physical paralysis. Uh, um, paralysis. And then finally, there was this social leprosy of those that were excluded from the religious community and that nobody liked and nobody wanted to have anything 
to do with. It takes a lot of faith to love a leper. Now, if you don't know what leprosy is, it's a, a terrible uh, disease. It's, it's an infection. It brings deterioration of the skin. Parts of the human flesh are eaten away and rotten, rot, rotting away. And um, the problem with leprosy is that as your, your skin rots away, you also lose your feeling, which causes more injury. So if you put your leprous hand in the fire, you won't even know it's on fire. If you, walk, if you have leprous feet and you walk over cut glass, you'll bleed, but you won't even know that your foot needs attention because you can't feel it. Your skin deteriorates and falls off and you lose all physical feeling. How terrible. And those that were infected were forever forbidden to participate in normal social life. Those infected had to relinquish family lives, lives uh, uh, ties, and, and live in leper colonies. They had to abandon all social relationships. They had to go along with a bell shouting unclean so that people could scatter in their path and not come, come near them. In uh, Middle Ages, when somebody was diagnosed with having leprosy, they would be taken into the church and the priest would, pre would, would do a funeral service over them because they were considered dead to society. A dreadful disease. And here is the, the leper coming to Jesus saying, will you, will you, you can make me clean, you can heal me. And Jesus reaches out and he touches that diseased person. He reaches out, he touches. You know, that, that's like a story of, of the famous... Um, St. Francis of Assisi. And um, one day, St. Francis of Assisi, he was riding home to Assisi. He was struggling with his call to God's work, but he was living, still living the life of a fashionably dressed son of an aristocrat. Suddenly he saw the sight of which he was most afraid of, a person suffering from leprosy. Then a tremendous change came over Francis. Filled with a power that was not his own, Francis put money into the leper's hand and then putting his lips to the leper's flesh, he kissed that diseased hand with his own clean lips. The leper, seeing that Francis was filled with love, held him and gave him the kiss of peace and Francis kissed him back. Francis then climbed on his horse and rode home with joy. On that day, Francis began his ministry with the lepers, visiting them and bringing them gifts. All this happened because he overcame his fear of touching the untouchable. He loved somebody that could never give him anything in return. Every age, every nation, every community, every religion has its particular lep lepers. Every, every culture labels certain people lepers. The lepers in, the, in our midst are the ones we fear, the ones we feel in dangerous the ones who remind us of our own weakness, the ones that we don't want to see. Jesus healed the leper, touched him, reached out and touched him. And then the paralytic man, he was paralyzed, but Jesus saw beyond the paralysis into the, if I can use the phrase, spiritual leprous heart of the man. You know, when someone doesn't know the Lord, their heart can be hardened, like leprosy hardens. They become unfeeling. 
The conscience becomes seared like when you're burnt and the place that's burnt you can't feel because the sensory uh, sections have been burnt out. For a while that burnt place has no feeling. And the sinner's heart is like that and a Christian's heart can grow cold like that become leprosy, no longer feeling. The heart disintegrating, not feeling, and the person isn't even aware what's going on in their lives. But Jesus reached out. The man couldn't move. He could probably barely blink. But when Jesus reached out and touched him in his heart with the words of forgiveness, although you couldn't see it on the outside, he was stiff with paralysis, on the inside, something began leaping and dancing and the liberty of of being loved and being forgiven. As grace touched him on the inside, he leapt and he danced, but you couldn't see it on the outside until Jesus said, you want to know that I have the authority to forgive anybody's sins? Then rise, take your bed and walk. And he jumped up and what had happened on the inside could now be expressed through his body on the outside. The social lepers, the Levites that were there, they were evil and they knew it. The religious people didn't want anything to do with them. Or the people you don't want anything to do with because of their religion or their non-religion or the way that they live or their disinterest in the things of God. And you've got to the place where you think, I'm not getting anything back here. There's no point loving. There's no point reaching out. And, 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 you, and they've become like a leper to you, but you don't realize it. These are the very people that God is asking you to speak to. You know, love takes the form of words, love takes the form of actions, but often in this day and age, what love really takes the form of is, is time, spending time with someone, that neighbor you intend to have a coffee with or visit, that person at work that you intention, you know, these intentions, you intend one day to meet with them after work, you intend, you intend. You've even said one day we'll do this, one day we'll do, we'll, we'll do that. People that are close to you, family, extended family, friends, colleagues, all these people that are, are around you. And some people, with, and, and time, giving someone your time in these days is one of the greatest acts of love. As we've got a summer of evangelism with different events and we're encouraging people not just to come, but to bring somebody that doesn't know the Lord. To bring them is going to take love, acts of love, acts of kindness, uh, and, and when we think about it like this, I suppose it comes down, comes, down, comes down to this. Jesus had his Gethsemane moment, the big Gethsemane moment for the greatest act of love ever given. He died on the cross. This is love. 1 John 10, 1 John 4, 10, my favorite verse in the New Testament. This is love that God sent his son and he died In meditating on what Jesus did on the cross, that is love in its fullness. But that came out of a Gethsemane decision, didn't it? Well, I believe that God has got micro Gethsemane moments for all of us. Not not huge moments, perhaps, that tomorrow you're going to have to die for somebody else. Greater has no love uh, than this, than a man would love die for his friend. But little Gethsemane moments. The time you, you step out of your of, of your, your home, and you see your neighbor, uh, but you're busy, but you stop. It's a Gethsemane moment. You stop, you go over, you engage in chat. The times when you've invited someone for a meal, you invited something to do that, and you think, shall I do it this week? Well, I'm busy. You stop, a Gethsemane moment. 
has, has just arisen. What choice are you going to make? Are you going to choose the benefit of the other person? Or are you going to say, my will be done? Are you going to step out? The Holy Spirit has got many, many Gethsemane moments for you. They're already there, some of these decisions to be made. Remember, love is, is, is an action more than an intention. And, and, and love is a conviction more than an emotion. There's a Gethsemane moment. You could walk out perhaps today, take up your phone and ring that estranged member of your family, that colleague, that friend, whatever's been laid on your heart by the Holy Spirit. You could dial that number. It's a Gethsemane moment for you to step into an action, verbal or otherwise, that will cause God's kingdom to come. And you do it without expectation of repayment from the person. It is a free gift of love on your part. That's what makes the difference. That's what makes it Christian. It's a free gift. It's a free gift of time, a free gift of love, a free gift of words, a free gift of action. You're not expecting anything back from that person. But Father, I'm doing this for you and because of you, and I know that you will reward me someday or later. In other words, I know that you are pleased and those that you're pleased with, you will reward eventually. God is speaking to us. Famous theologian Richard Neobar said this, Christians are never more dangerous than when they attempt to act from love. Just start in the little things and the big things will come. Francis Assisi, he felt the call of God on his life. You feel the call of God on your life because we're all called to serve. He felt the call of God on his life, but it wasn't until he took that act of love that was right there before him. He didn't seek out the leper. The leper was there. There are lepers before you everywhere. People that you give that can't give back to to you. He didn't seek out the leper. The leper was there, but then when he had his his micro Gethsemane moment and chose to step out, give money, and kiss the hand, not only did it change the leper and, and bring the kingdom into the leper, but just as importantly, it radically changed Francis of Assisi forever. Your call, your destiny is reliant upon your micro-Gethsemane moments in reaching out in love to others. That's why we're here. Christians are never more dangerous than 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 when they attempt to act from love. Let's bow our heads in prayer and in response. Micro-Gethsemanes come in our way. Sometimes tiny little decisions, sometimes a bit stronger decisions, but nevertheless, in that moment of micro-Gethsemane that you are in to reach out to love, to speak to love, or to say no and to resist it. It's in our hands.